0: This week on Geek Explained, with rumors of their impending arrival in the MCU, this week I'm diving into the history of Marvel's most mysterious superhero team. So join me as I Geek Explain Marvel's Illuminati. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about the Illuminati. Now, no, it's not about that shadowy organization that seems to be running things all around the world. It's a fictional shadowy organization that seems to be running things all around Marvel's world. Um, there have been rumors abound over this past week because of a certain trailer that came out during the Super Bowl that the Illuminati might be making their way to the MCU, and I know a ton of people have asked me in my circles, hey, what is the Illuminati? So, In this episode, I'm breaking it all down for you. going to go through the entire history of the team, who's been on the team, who's been kicked out of the team, and we're going to talk about some books to check out if you are interested in reading more about them. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I tell you about all the comics you should be checking out this week. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. A lot to talk about. Let's dive into it. Kicking things off with comic book news. Two big pieces of comic book news for you coming at you right now. Uh, first off, on the DC front, Joshua Williamson and Daniel Sampier have announced that they are working on Dark Crisis. This is going to be the next major DC event happening later this year. And. Apparently, this is what Infinite Frontier has been leading up to. Dark Crisis is supposed to be the next, you know, multiverse, omniverse shattering event that, you know, comes around every year or a couple years nowadays. But Dark Crisis is promising a lot of things. Uh, Daniel Sampier's art is awesome, so I can't wait to see more of him on there. Joshua Williamson, I will say, has felt like he's got a plan. He's kind of been the architect for DC for the last, like, I want to say like two years or so, and I'm interested. I don't know what's going to happen. Dark Crisis seems to be on paper very interesting because it is going to be spinning directly out of the death of the Justice League out of uh, Justice League 75. And it is going to feature a crisis level event that has to be answered by... DC's legacy characters, and I love the concept of that. I love the idea of that, the next generation finally getting to step up and getting their moment in the sun. However, there are some things that I am curious about that might derail this. First off, Hal Jordan. I mean, Hal Jordan, of all the people, to not get wiped out has been featured prominently alongside these legacy characters and that's kind of a red flag for me um i don't know i just hal jordan there's a lot that goes with him and there's a lot of stuff a lot of baggage that he's got especially when it comes to crisis events and i am curious to see what his role is going to be in this ultimately um also we have no guarantees that by the end of this uh, gigantic crisis, the original heroes aren't going to swoop back in and save the day. I want to hope that they are not going to do that. And I am really looking forward to seeing characters like Nightwing, Damien, you know, Superboy, Superman, uh, diving into this crisis and coming out of it grander heroes than they already are. And I, I just, I'm curious how everything's gonna kind of wrap itself up, because there's a bunch of books that are going on right now that feature characters that are either going to go away, or characters who are in the middle of their own story prior to this dark crisis happening, so I don't know exactly what's gonna happen, I'm cautiously optimistic, but we will just have to see. Uh, We also got the announcement of a new Thunderbolts book, uh, written by Jim Zub, with art by Sean Izakse from May, and... This book looks interesting. I don't really think it should be considered a Thunderbolts book since most of the characters featured here are heroes. Uh I just Thunderbolts are usually villains that are brought together for not so villainous things sometimes. Uh but this roster which features uh, Hawkeye, Clint Barton, America Chavez, Spectrum, Monica Rambeau, Power Man, Victor Alvarez, Persuasion, Kara Kilgrave, and Gut- and someone named Guts and Glory, who seems to be a cyborg? I don't know. Um, are going to be doling out justice like lightning, as the tagline goes. Um I don't know, man. We'll we'll see. Uh, we haven't really had a big follow-up for Clint since Hawkeye Freefall. And if that leads into this with Clint, you know, having a morally ambiguous end to that book, I would be okay with that. However, again, this seems more you know, like a Champions-esque or a West Coast Avengers-esque roster than a Thunderbolts roster. So I really enjoy Jim Zub. I like Shawnee Zoxay's art. I think he absolutely crushed it in Fantastic Four Life Story. So I'll be at least picking up issue one to see if it grabs me. Hopping on over to miscellaneous news. First off, speaking of Marvel, uh, there's rumors abound right now that Marvel's Avengers is going to cease active development this year. Uh, I don't think I'm the first person to tell you that Marvel's Avengers hasn't really lived up to expectation. Even the much heralded release of Spider-Man last year was kind of a, eh, yeah, I guess. And with nothing really on the horizon besides a rumored She-Hulk release for the character to tie in with her uh, uh, Disney Plus show coming out this year, there's nothing else that's really on the books. Um, it's going to hit its two-year anniversary in September, and folks like Greg Miller from Kind of Funny are saying that he thinks that they're going to stop active development to work on the next Tomb Raider. So ultimately, I think we all know that this you know, Avengers game was a failed experiment, and the I think, to be honest, the sooner we move on from this, the better. And speaking of moving on, uh, this next piece of news is going to hit a very small core of our audience here. But I have to talk about it because it's a big deal to me. Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes has apparently left AEW. Him and his wife, Brandi Rhodes, put out statements that they were leaving the company. Um, There's no real reason why this has been given. Why he's left, there's been rumors that a rift has grown between him and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, but they've been able to more or less keep things together for the company for a while but it looks like him and brandy are off to greener pastures now it's not clear where they're going but lots of signs are pointing to wwe and i don't really uh, i don't want that i don't want that with how much listen cody rhodes was one of the driving forces in the creation of aew but even before that right Cody Rhodes was the guy who was breaking down barri- barriers, jumping from company to company to company, the only man to compete in a WrestleMania, New Japan, Wrestle Kingdom, and a um, Ring of Honor, what was it, final battle, all in one in the span of one year? Like, that's a big deal. And he has been kind of pushing this idea and this agenda of life after WWE that WWE isn't the end-all be-all and for the possibility of him going no but now we're gonna go back it really weirds me out I gotta be honest and granted yes obviously it would be a big get for WWE it would be a shot fired across the bow for that company to AEW since AEW has been in hardcore acquisition mode for a while but it's unclear exactly how he would be used, because there's no guarantee. Cody is a main event level star everywhere except WWE when it comes to his past career. And even though, yes, he's still building his resume when it comes to you know his career not being near over, I don't have faith in WWE to use him properly. I just don't. So ultimately, we're going to have to see. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but... It's going to create headlines. I know that much. Uh, Moving on over to TV news. Uh, First off, we got the first big teaser trailer for uh, Lord of the Rings Rings of Power, that Amazon Prime show that is coming out soon. And it looks fine. It looks like Lord of the Rings. Um, Maybe it's just because I'm not really a Lord of the Rings guy, but. It looks exactly like what I expected it to look like, uh, though much more racially diverse. I'll tell you that much, and I love that. Uh, but it's it looks good. It looks good. Um, I'll check it out. But again, I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings guy, so we'll just have to see what happens there. Uh, we got two big Marvel TV news pieces. First off, Moon Knight. Moon Knight got some uh, Empire Magazine covers that look fantastic and give us a... I guess, even better look at the Moon Knight suit. Uh, We also got a Super Bowl trailer, more on Super Bowl trailers later, uh, that looks really good. Looked really good, I like where they're going, Um, the... I guess the show is supposed to be really brutal, really psychologically uh, dark, which I like, so I'm interested in that. We also got the first look at Mr. Knight. I'm not sure how I feel about them introducing him this early when we've still got a lot of other Moon Knight stuff that we have to establish, but a lot of people, myself included, were introduced to Moon Knight while Mr. Knight was a thing, so... I'm neither here nor there on it. The design looks great. Um, I'm weirded out by like the big crack in the mask, but overall clean look looks exactly like Mr. Knight. What more can you ask for? Uh, Speaking of Marvel, what more could you ask for? I would like more time with Daredevil, please. But apparently Netflix does not want us to have that because apparently this year they're getting rid of all of the Marvel Netflix shows. So we're talking... Daredevil, we're talking Jessica Jones, Moon, not Moon Knight, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Punisher, Defenders. All six of those shows are going away fairly soon, I think. It's like at the end of March or something. And that to me says new shows are going to be coming soon. Uh, I have no reason to say this. I am not, you know, in the know on anything, but they have been kind of safe on Netflix because those characters have not been used. Uh, If, you know, sporadically, if at all, for the last couple of years since those shows kind of wrapped up. But the fact that they're not going to be on Netflix anymore tells me that those characters are going to pop up again and those shows might be getting a revival on a different streaming service. So I am very interested in seeing what happens next, but who knows? Who knows what's going to happen there? But speaking of Netflix, hopping on over to our final category this week, Film News. Netflix is developing a Bioshock film. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, look, I love Bioshock. I love the Bioshock games. I really dig the entire atmosphere, the story, the lore. But we have seen Netflix put out some real crap adaptations over the years. Um, And some very, you know, even though heartfelt, very unsuccessful adaptations See also Cowboy Bebop. I really don't know how to feel. I don't know if I should be excited about this. I don't know if I should have faith in this, but we'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, also in development, HBO Max is making a Wonder Twins film. Because why not? At this point, why not? They've got so many other films in development Batgirl, uh, Jaime Reyes, Blue Beetle, which is now going to be an, you know, uh, theatrical release as well um why not the wonder twins can be fun depending on their treatment i honestly have expected the Wonder twins to pop up in star girl That was my belief. I thought that that was going to be the play, but apparently not. Apparently they're just going for full on film treatment. So we'll have to see what happens there. Uh, we also got the announcement that not only is Sonic three already given the green light to be in development and Sonic two hasn't even come out yet. They're also developing a Knuckles series for paramount plus, uh, featuring the return of Idris Elba as knuckles. Cool. Um, this is going to be interesting. I am I still haven't seen the first Sonic movie. I will be watching it before the second one comes out. But um, s- Sonic might have a cinematic universe in place before DC does. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see how that goes. But speaking of DC Comics, we got a big old scissor reel from DC over the last week. Um, basically, this, you know, the world needs heroes thing popped up. And we've got four films that were featured. First of all, Aquaman could not could not care less about that. Uh, the flash showed us a new look at uh, Ezra Miller's new flash costume, which looks fine. Um, but the two biggest takeaways from this were first Batman. More Batman footage, great Batman footage. And of course, the big takeaway was Black Adam showing off footage from the film that we haven't seen before, Black Adam doing his thing, and our first look at the Justice Society. Uh, They look great. Uh, The Adam, or Adam Smashers, I think they're going to have him called in this film, looks fantastic. Hawkman looks great, though I wish he was shirtless. I wish the whole armor look doesn't really do it for me. But the big one for me was Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate looks dope. Uh, the choice to make the Helmet of Nabu have um, no eyes or no eye slits is super cool. And I really, really dig that artistic choice. Uh, looks great. I can't wait to see more of this film. Give us an actual trailer with people in it uh, <laughs> i'm sure that's coming uh that film's coming out soon i think this year early next year so looking forward to it for sure but the big news of the week was of course the super bowl trailer for dr strange in the multiverse of madness this trailer was so big in fact that it blew up my plans for the podcast this week so uh the trailer looks incredible. It is very clearly Sam Raimi directing this, just from the color grading to the effects to the cinematography, all Sam Raimi, 100%. They even did the whole from director Sam Raimi treatment in the trailer. I dig it. Um, and it looks like Wanda is going to be stepping into her a villainous role here, which makes me Really freaking excited! I'm super excited about this. Um, Doctor Strange looks great. Updated suit. Updated uh, Cloak of Levitation. And things are going to go down. And it is going to be bad for everyone involved. So I'm really excited about this. But the big news coming out of this was... One silky smooth British voice. That being of Patrick Stewart. Very clearly Patrick Stewart obviously going to be you know reprising his role as charles xavier which charles xavier who's to say but there is a high possibility that there is going to be a multiversal illuminati gracing our screens in may of this year so that's really exciting because i love the illuminati i love this group i love the idea of instead of it being you know more of a one you know earth 616 bound illuminati it's a multiversal illuminati dealing with threats and solving problems that we don't even know about in our reality so i think that might be the biggest takeaway from this film so that does it for the news and speaking of marvel's illuminati that is going to roll us right on into the main event the main course the entree if you will as i geek explain marvel's illuminati We should tell him the truth. What if, right now, I told you that as you're listening to this podcast, there is a group, a singular-minded force, shaping the world around you without you even knowing it? Well, That was the realization that Marvel readers found themselves having when they opened up New Avengers and found themselves face-to-face with Marvel's Illuminati. This was a shadowy group constructed strictly for the purpose of shaping the way that the Marvel 616 developed, and though they had the best of intentions when they were created... Best intentions don't always lead to the best outcomes. This is, of course, the latest edition of our Geek Explain series where I take a specific character, specific title, specific team, and tell you everything you need to know about them when it comes to the realm of comic books. And this time we are tackling Marvel's Illuminati. And listener, I gotta be honest with you, I have been waiting waiting to do this one for a really long time because I love this team. I think it is one of the most interesting decisions that a writer has made in telling this story of not quite heroism and bringing together characters who we now have to look at differently because of the actions they take as part of this group. And there is a reason that we're having this discussion today, and that's because in the latest trailer for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, we got a big clue that they might be showing up in the MCU. More on that later, but for now, let's get into the nitty-gritty of Marvel's Illuminati. So, the Illuminati, also known in publishing terms as the New Avengers, as they've almost exclusively appeared in New Avengers comics, actually taking over the book on multiple occasions made their first appearance in New Avengers number 7 way back in 2005. They're created by Brian Michael Bendis and Steve McNiven, and they have loosely been affiliated at times with the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, Cyclops' Nation X, the New Avengers, and the X-Men. Now, throughout their time as a group, they've had several different members come and go, but the full roster includes Black Bolt, Namor the Submariner, Professor X, Mr. Fantastic, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, Medusa, Beast, Black Panther, Captain Britain, Amadeus Cho, Doc Green, Bruce Banner himself, Yellow Jacket, and Captain America. More about that later, I bet you didn't know. (sighs) But without further ado, let's talk about this team, because there is a lot to get into. They've only been around, listener, for 17 years, but In that time, they have gotten up to lots of shenanigans. Let's dive into this. So, their not-so-humble beginnings uh, originate in the post cree skrull War. Following the gigantic conflict, a little group meeting was made between several representatives of the superhero-slash- not-so-superhero-sometimes communities throughout the 616 Earth. The goal of this meeting was to create a unified supergroup to share intel and to help stop uh, threats before they happen. The consensus was that all of the members that were present at this meeting had intel that could have either... Lessened, if not outright prevented, the events of the of the Kree Skrull War from happening. So, in this group, we had Doctor Strange representing the Mystic Arts and the Outsider Heroes, Professor X representing the Mutants, Black Panther representing the nation of Wakanda, Mister Fantastic representing the Fantastic Four, and cosmicy cosmicy stuff. Namor representing Atlantis. You know, just three-quarters of the planet Earth, Black Bolt representing the Inhumans, and Iron Man representing the Avengers. This group was brought together to try and decide if a governing body was necessary to make decisions that might be morally dubious for people who consider themselves superheroes. In this meeting, in this initial meeting, Black Panther straight-up refused membership. He said, look, I understand the intention here, but there are problems with this. This many egos in this tight of space trying to make decisions for everybody else? Eventually, we're going to become each other's worst em- enemies, and so he leaves. Following this, though, the Illuminati remained undeterred and made plans for their first mission. They accomplish this mission by heading to the Skrull homeworld to more or less be a show of force to let them know, look, you guys just had a big war and caught our planet in the middle of it, and that's not going to happen again. We are here. We are going to be defending this planet. If you come near us again, we will wipe you from existence. And everything was going well until their botched escape led to Every single member being captured, tortured, and studied by the Skrull scientists. Thankfully, Iron Man was able to lead an escape back to Earth. However, the data gained from the study of every single one of some of the most powerful members of the superhuman community on Earth would end up becoming a problem later on. Now... Unfortunately, there was no rest for the Wicked because their group began to make decisions behind the scenes in several of the large-scale events in Marvel Comics. First off, in the Infinity Gauntlet, following Thanos' attempt to use the Infinity Gauntlet to wipe out every single bit of life on the the entire universe to please mistress death reed richards convenes the other members of the illuminati to convince them that the infinity gems should be collected and should be kept safe by them because in reed's mind they are the only ones with the will and the fortitude to keep those gems safe and out of the hands of wrongdoers so the illuminati embarks on a quest Several different members, they split up, they go find all of the gems, and not through any sort of easy means either, and once they have the gems together, Reed, has, who has created a brand new Infinity Gauntlet, brings the gems together, and for a moment, for just a moment, there's an unease in the air, because... Once he has the gems, he closes his eyes and there's silence. And no one knows exactly what he's thinking. Namor immediately jumps to, I am going to kill you if you don't take that glove off. And all of a sudden, the Watcher arrives. The Watcher, who has sworn an oath not to interfere steps down from his perch to reprimand the kids for their misuse of these reality-altering gems. However, Reed does counter with the fact that he was trying to will the gems to destroy themselves. He was trying to use the stones to destroy the stones, but found himself unable to, and the Watcher, Thankful that Reed was able to resist the temptation of the gems, tasks each of the Illuminati members to take one gem for themselves and to hide it from the others so that no one would be able to find them again. However, as everyone was getting ready to leave, a watchful eye from Black Bolt noted that Reed's demeanor was something more than disappointment for his inability to destroy the gems. There was something else there. Following this, Tony Stark, after getting ousted by uh, Obadiah Stane and his own company, moved to Los Angeles and found himself clashing with The Pride, which was a, a collection of six families who were essentially running crime in Los Angeles. If you are a Runaways fan, this might sound familiar to you. Knowing that he was low on resources and didn't want to essentially destabilize an entire criminal underworld before he knew what was happening, Tony Stark called in the Illuminati to clash with the Pride, and having defeated them and turned them over to the authorities, they knew that... This wasn't going to last, but they had sent a message to the Pride that if they ever got too big for their britches, the Illuminati were out there. And following this, Tony did decide to leave L.A. Then, after the universe-shaking event Secret Wars, the group was brought together once again to discuss the Beyonder, this... Crazy cosmic entity that brought all these characters, both hero and villain alike, to Battle World to try and see who would win in the ultimate battle of good and evil. Now, there's really a lot of weird speculation with this specific issue because there's all kinds of stuff that doesn't really make sense. Um, Black Bolt references the fact that he recognizes the me the aura, I guess, of the Beyonder as possibly someone who had gone into the Terrigen Mists to become an inhuman and hadn't returned. And Professor X has done who has done extensive study into the Beyonder since the events of Secret Wars concludes that the Beyonder is a mutant. And the running theory becomes the Beyonder was a mutant who happened to go into the Terrigen mists, and the mixture of the two created this cosmic being. During the events of Secret Wars 2, the group confronts the jerry-curled version of the Beyonder, and though... Black Bolt seems to get through to him by using his authority as the Beyonder's quote-unquote king to tell him to stand down and to leave this universe. It is super unclear whether this happened or not, whether the Beyonder is what they say, whether he is in fact a celestial being. But all we know is that there is more uncertainty and even more ambiguity than when the adventure began. They also made a visit to... Marvel Boy, following Novar's attempt to take over the Earth and through some mind manipulations as well as some really well-placed illusions, the Illuminati convinces him to change course and become a hero, and Novar would later on become a member of the Young Avengers as well as a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy recently. You should check that out. It's a great run by Al Ewing. After this, following many, many different conflicts throughout the Marvel Universe, Iron Man forms a new Avengers roster after the Raft breakout. Now, this group, following the events of, of course, uh, Avengers Disassembled, uh, House of M, all that stuff, was brought together to deal with modern problems and featured a really great roster. I can't stress enough how good this new Avengers run was, however... The reveal of the sentry, this character who somehow was part of the Marvel Universe but everyone had forgotten about him, shook the group's confidence when no member of the Illuminati could remember him. They were supposed to be the governing body, they were supposed to know all the secrets and hold all the secrets, but they didn't know who this random guy was, so... They went back through the archives, went back through uh, mind memory logs, and they did end up finding, once the sentry was revealed, all of these instances where he had not only helped to stop crises, but actually inadvertently helped the Illuminati as well. Iron Man ultimately claims responsibility for the sentry, says, look, I know he is unstable, but... I'm going to take responsibility for him. He's going to be on the new Avengers team. If anything goes wrong, it's on me. Now, something did go wrong. But it wasn't because of the Sentry. It was because of the Hulk. Now, post-M-Day and the decimation of most of the mutant population, the Hulk went on a rampage and destroyed Las Vegas. So, with Xavier missing and unable to cast a vote, the Illuminati decides to shoot Hulk into space, plotting, a course, for him to land on an uninhabited planet where he could, as the Hulk has said he always wanted, be left alone. During this meeting, Namor vehemently disagrees with this, votes against it, and believes the Hulk will seek revenge for what they've done. However, the Illuminati goes forward with the plan, launches Hulk into space, and following this, temporarily disbands. However, this wouldn't last very long because during the or prior to the announcement of the Superhuman Registration Act, Iron Man calls the group back together again to discuss this, telling them that because each of them represents more or less the head of their specific superhero community, if they all came forward with support of the Superhuman Registration Act, that the bill would pass and there would be no conflict. However, This also hinged on the desperate plan of Tony to bring the group public. He wants the Illuminati to go public, let everyone know who they are, what they've been doing, and let the public know that, look, we are being held accountable and we want you to be held accountable too. The Illuminati, in response to this, are divided, right? Stark and Reed Richards are pro-registration. They get it, they understand it, they want to do that. Doctor Strange and Black Bolt, however, do not want anything to do with this. And while Strange takes a vow of silence and decides to fast in protest of the entire conflict, Black Bolt says, no, I'm taking the... The Inhumans, we are going to stay out of this conflict and I'm not going to bother with you. Namor decides to remain neutral and stays under the under the sea, essentially, in Atlantis until he would, of course, later on join with Cap and his secret Avengers. And Xavier, once again, was not present. So because of the divide in the group, the... Motion for Iron Man to bring the group public did not pass, and it did ultimately lead to the Civil War event. Now, this wasn't the only consequence that came from the choices that the Illuminati made. In fact, this next period deals entirely with consequences of their actions in prior uh, adventures. First off, following their successful, I guess, quote-unquote, mission to send Hulk into space, Hulk unfortunately did not land on an uninhabited planet. He found his way to Sakar, where he was a gladiator, he was treated terribly, eventually led a revolution, and became the king of Sakar with his wife and their unborn child. However, the shuttle that brought the Hulk to Sakar exploded unexpectedly, wiping out the royal city as well as killing Hulk's wife and unborn child. Hulk blaming the Illuminati, remembering that it was them that sent him in this ship to this planet and believing that they sent him there to die returns to Earth with his Warbound as the World Breaker and wages war not just on the Illuminati but on Earth as a whole. First off, he defeats Black Bolt on the moon. He then battles the X-Men in an attempt to grab Xavier. However, following learning about Xavier's not only n- complete missing presence from the decision as well as the effects of the Decimation, Hulk spares Xavier and moves on to defeat Iron Man and Mr. Fantastic, chaining them up and forcing them to fight in his own gladiatorial arena. Eventually, the Illuminati members were saved by the Sentry, who battled the Hulk to a standstill until neither of them could continue, and ultimately the destruction of the shuttle was revealed to be a plot by Meek, one of Hulk's Warbound, in an attempt to create the Worldbreaker. Following this, the secret invasion was on the horizon as the as Iron Man brought the group back together to witness the corpse of a Skrull that had been posing as Elektra. Now, this one was a little special, though. Skrulls known for taking other people's shapes. However, over the years, because of their many run-ins with the numerous heroes that populate the Marvel Universe... They had figured out a way to track these scrolls, to detect them and to suss them out whenever they would try to infiltrate the superhero community. However, this one that had been impersonating Electra was completely blind to all of their detection technology and had been posing as Electra for an undetermined amount of time. The News of this completely shocked the group. They did. They recognized immediately that this was in response to their botched first mission, and they got the idea that maybe we have an invasion coming. And that's when Black Bolt piped up, saying, oh, the invasion's not coming. It's already here. And Black Bolt reveals himself to be a Skrull using his power to decimate the Illuminati. The Illuminati is able to thankfully defeat him as well as two other Super Skrulls that arrive. However, they realize that even though the group together has the best chance of trying to save the world from this Skrull invasion, they can't trust each other. None of them knows how long Black Bolt was a Skrull. None of them know how long any of the others could be Skrulls. So they decide together to disband because they can't trust each other and they will fight this war on all fronts. Each member of the Illuminati did fight on the front lines of the war, though separately and suffering many losses across this gigantic conflict. Thankfully... The conflict did come to a head as Queen Veronica makes herself known to the world and, surprisingly, is killed by Norman Osborn. And the Illuminati is there during that final battle to bear witness to the rise of Osborn. In the aftermath of the secret invasion, Tony Stark is blamed for the invasion as he was the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. and was blamed by many media. Many influenced by Norman Osborne himself, that he, whether knowingly or not, weakened the Earth's defenses against the secret invasion. Following this, Tony Stark loses his position as head of S.H.I.E.L.D. to Osborne, who flips it into Hammer, and Tony Stark goes on the run. Reed Richards becomes a recluse, knowing how terrible times are about to go because of Osborne's influence, and decides to build a machine to look into the multiverse to try and find solutions on how they can subvert Osborne's rule. Stephen Strange mysteriously disappears, though he returns to the New Avengers seeking help, heavily depowered and on the run from Dormammu. Black Bolt is ultimately rescued from the Skrulls by Ronan the Accuser and the Kree and is brought back to the Kree homeworld to be placed on the throne, taking over the Kree Empire and bringing in the Inhumans to be part of it in preparation for the War of Kings. Namor holds on to his power, thankfully because of his uh, more or less neutrality during Civil War. However, he decides to join Osborne to continue to hold his power. And Charles Xavier, following everything that's happened, including an attempt on his life, heads into exile to try and find himself, which brings us to the Dark Rain Osborne knowing because of Namor the existence of the Illuminati decides to install his own Illuminati entitling it the Cabal now the cabal uh, enlisted Osborne Namor Emma Frost Loki the Hood and Dr. Doom. Now tell me, one of those things is not like the other. Which of those characters sounds like a C-list villain? If you chose the Hood, you'd be right. It was a weird choice, but I guess you needed somebody who could control the street-level crime. Either way, this cabal, along with the strain of having to control not just this group, but also his own Dark Avengers, caused osborn to be stretched real thin and is eventually ousted from the cabal by loki who of course betrays him because that is in her nature namor eventually abandons osborn as well during his conflict with the x-men during the nation x utopia era and joins the x-men in open revolt against osborn In a last grab at power, Osborne tries to invade Asgard, but is thankfully stopped by the heroes, including the big reunion of Marvel's Trinity in Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor. Soon after the events of this, the Hood, having tasted power as being part of the Cabal, decides he is going to try stealing the Infinity Gems. He gets his hands on two and defeats the Red Hulk in combat. The Red Hulk returns to the Avengers and lets them know what's going on. Due to this being an Infinity Gem crisis, Iron Man summons the Illuminati once again, and in... Black Bolt's stead, because he is off in space doing his War King's thing, Iron Man recruits Medusa to be the new member of the Illuminati. When the group does go to try to protect the gems, however, they run across the Avengers, who are now in three separate teams, and unfortunately are revealed to them. Their backstory, their entire deal is revealed to these Avengers teams who are feeling betrayed, and... Not quite sure on how to move forward. However, knowing that there is a bigger crisis involved, they decide to move forward and team up for the short term to defeat the Hood and save the world from his Infinity Gem heist. Now, the Illuminati and the Avengers eventually do defeat the Hood and gather all the Infinity Gems, and Iron Man, with a brand spanking new Infinity Gauntlet, somehow wills it out of existence. The Avengers, satisfied with this ending, decide, look, we know what you've been doing. It's fine. You can't be doing this anymore. We're on to you. And Iron Man and the rest of the Illuminati members say, yeah, we get it. We understand. Everything's out in the open now. Let's move on. However, all was not as it seemed, because following the events of this Infinity Gem Caper, Iron Man returned to a secret location where we found the Infinity Gauntlet. Completely intact, the gems basically entombed inside of this gauntlet, and Iron Man reconvenes The Illuminati in secret, entrusting each member with a gem as well as a new member, Captain America Steve Rogers. Now... Uh, following this, the group wouldn't see a whole lot of action until the events of Avengers vs. X-Men. During this conflict, the Phoenix Force returned to Earth and inhabited five, count them, five of the members of the X-Men who decided to make the world their plaything. In response to this, Cap gathers the Illuminati during this Phoenix 5 crisis to discuss their options and to figure out how to reach Namor, who was still a member, uh, the other member's are not sure how to do this. They're split on the AVX conflict, of course. And knowing that Namor will never show up to this meeting to even try to be convinced, everyone departs. However, following everyone leaving, Namor does arrive, and he and Cap have a conversation. The two of them ultimately come to disagree knowing that even though they have a long-standing history they will not see eye to eye on this namor leaves and parts ways with cap on good terms telling him look i am not telling anyone our secrets but i know what i'm doing however he does not know what he does because following this conflict namor floods wakanda Big conflict, big dust-up, uses a tidal wave to flood the city, and Panther swears revenge. T'Challa, knowing that in his immense Phoenix Five power that Namor still chose to do this, swears that he will get even with Namor one day. Eventually, the Phoenix Five were freed from the Phoenix. However, this did end with Professor Xavier being killed by Cyclops. And then it got worse. While doing a routine patrol outside of his home country of Wakanda, Black Panther stumbled upon a red sky. This was the very first incursion into the world of the 616. Black Panther, seeing the events transpire before him, as well as the other earth seemingly in the red sky being destroyed black panther attacks the invaders and captures one calling herself black swan and then proceeds to gather the members of the Illuminati, realizing that there is a need to deal with this threat discreetly. Learning about the threat of the death of the multiverse, the incursions that would cause two alternate Earths to smash into each other, T'Challa recognizes the need for such a secretive group and gives them a home base, the necropolis, underneath Wakanda. They also add another member to their ranks, Beast. Recruited through Xavier's will and given his Infinity Gem, Beast becomes a member of the crew, and there's never been a bad thing that Beast has ever done, so it's good to trust him, right? Right? So the group decides, speaking of those Infinity Gems, to gather them together to see if they can use them to stop from in- stop incursions from happening. They gather them, place them into the gauntlet, and Captain America successfully pushes another Earth away during another incursion. However, from the strain of pushing two realities apart, the gems shatter, all of which except the Time Stone, which disappears that would further on be part of an avengers storyline but for the purposes of the illuminati they were now out of options and so the decision is made that for their earth to live other earths must die however this did not sit well with one Stephen Rogers, who completely dismisses the plan and decides that if he is going to be witness to something like this, he is going to do everything he can to tear this Illuminati group down. And so the Illuminati ousts Cap from the group and wipes his memory of any time he spent with them, which begins a ticking clock. Following the expulsion of Cap, the Illuminati begins researching methods to destroy other worlds. Stark begins developing a Dyson sphere and basically calling it Soul's Hammer, which is a very technological term that I can't even begin to explain to you, but it's basically a big ol shield thing that saps the energy from the pla- from the sun and uses it for big ol lasers. <laughs> Uh, Doctor Strange comes into possession of a mysterious tome that would give him the power to destroy worlds, but at an immense cost. And T'Challa and Reed begin developing an armory of world-killing weapons by reverse-engineering the... ...weapon that Black Swan brought with her from her Earth. Now, she is also consulted on different things... begins to needle in on each member of the Illuminati... ...showing cracks in this otherwise strong foundation. Now, the next incursion brings the Illuminati to a parallel Earth... ...which has been mostly decimated by Terax the Enlightened... ...a herald of Galactus, Galactus with a K says that he is honor-bound to Galactus to destroy any interlopers that try to stop his master from feasting on the world. The group battles against Terax and defeats him, capturing him and taking him back to the 616, while Galactus, with a K, eats this current alternate Earth. Now, as the time goes on and they begin trying to figure out what to do about these other Earths, they've gotten lucky so far. The other Earths they've seen have been either destroyed, they've been decimated, or any other number of things. However, eventually they will have to face an Earth that is populated. And the Black Swan begins to tell the tale of the Great Destroyer, who has kicked off this whole incursion nonsense and started the early death of the multiverse. And... As it happens, as she gets to the uh, heart of this great destroyer, a new incursion happens over the skies of Latveria. Instead, though, of a red sky, we see a blue one. Now this is a problem, because the blue skies signal the mapmakers, which are these terrifying-looking folks who just decimate everything they come across they come to an earth they drain it of everything an incursion happens they hop to that next earth they drain it of everything they're like a virus going from earth to earth to earth and maybe the map makers are more than they, they seem maybe the map makers are something else unclear as of this time and Knowing that the other Earth is completely uninhabited, being informed by Black Swan, T'Challa is confident in detonating the other Earth, stopping the incursion, and not allowing the map makers to make their way to the six one six. While all this is going on, tensions are growing between T'Challa and the leader of Atlantis, Namor, because of the issues that they had with, you know, that little thing of Namor flooding Wakanda. And so, unbeknownst to T'Challa and without his order, Wakanda stages a counterattack, absolutely laying waste to Atlantis. And the timing of this could not have been worse because at this exact time, Thanos invades Earth in search of the Infinity Gems as well as his begotten son. The Illuminati, to try and circumvent the the damage that Thanos would cause while ripping through the Earth trying to find his inhuman son decides to begin a search of their own for this son and happen to stumble upon an incursion in Australia. In Australia, the the Illuminati encounters an alternate builder, which are these race of just ancient, ancient uh, creatures that are both machine and man that seem to be uh, in connection with the multiverse, the superflow in between the Earths, it's a lot of high concept weirdness that only Jonathan Hickman can package up and put into a mainstream comic. Now this alternate builder learn basically learns them up on what has been going on and why in an earlier arc of the main line Avengers book, the builders began tearing across the universe towards Earth. The builders, are a collection of individuals and beings that are that share intel and share info and knowledge throughout the multiverse. Every multiverse is a, its own set of builders and each one is connected to the other. Now the builders learned the er, learned the fate of the multiverse that it is heading towards an early death. And to save the multiverse, the Builders decide to destroy the Earth in each of their realities, which is why the Builders started making their play towards Earth earlier on in the Avengers story. However, the Builders were routed by the Avengers. The 616 Builders failed in their quest because the Avengers went out and fought them on all fronts, beating the builders, liberating the galaxy, and saving their Earth. So, this alternate builder, or this Aleph, as they are singularly called, urges the Illuminati to finish what they started, to detonate this Earth, to stop the universes from collapsing, then heads back and detonates their own Earth. This is not exactly the time that they needed to hear this because at this exact moment Thanos invades Atlantis and Namor, who is still dealing with the aftermath of the attack by Wakanda, directs Thanos to Wakanda itself, promising that the Infinity Gems would be there. Wakanda is subsequently invaded by Thanos' Black Order and their forces and the Illuminati base underneath the country of Wakanda is discovered. Now, the Illuminati returns to find that their antimatter bombs have been messed with and that they are facing down one of Thanos' Black Order members, Supergiant. They defeat Supergiant with the help of Maximus, Black Bolt's brother, and decides to take the fight to Thanos. However, when they do arrive to this final battle, they find that it's already concluded. And due to the power set of Thane, Thanos' son, Thanos, his... Guards, uh, Corvus, and Proxima Midnight have all been encased in amber, frozen but alive. Iron Man says, look, guys, now we've all got this done. I'll take care of it. I'll put it into custody. And of course, the Illuminati puts it into the same prison as Black Swan and as Terax. Following this, during another multiversal spat with the mainline Avengers book, Bruce Banner discovers the existence of the Illuminati and after weighing the pros and cons, joins them. This seems fairly uh, fairly paint by numbers for a little while. They, you know, get worried about an incursion, they're able to subvert it. However, Following this most recent setback with the complete dissolution of their uh, of their base of operations, Black Swan is given more freedom in the group, and she begins working on something with Reed. She wants him to create a mirror of sorts. She has the specs, has the technology, knows how to make it, that would allow them to peer into other universes in the vast multiverse. However... She's surprised to find that Reed has already been working on this. As we mentioned earlier, Reed, during the Dark Reign era, started building something called the Bridge to allow him to peer into other multiverses. And due to this, they are able to see the, the universe that they are about to collide with before they begin the incursion, which is super helpful. However, it is... Not super helpful when they come across Earth 4290001. This Earth happens to host the Great Society, who is living in the smack dab middle of the age of heroes, and is basically the DC Universe. The incursion begins, the Illuminati heads to Earth 4290001 to try and negotiate. And the Great Society has averted incursions before. They've been able to push them away, the other planets away. However, they are unable to do so again, and so the talks begin to break down, as neither side wants to detonate their own world to save the other. Seeing that battle is inevitable, Namor throws the first punch and begins a dust-up between the Illuminati and the Great Society, and ultimately, the Great Society starts to get the upper hand, until... Doctor Strange reveals that in his pursuit to find that tome that we mentioned earlier, he has given up pieces of his soul to gather power so that he would be strong enough to end a world if necessary. And with this newfound power, unleashes this eldritch horror upon the Great Society, killing them all except for their leader, Sun God, Superman. And... As they realize the incursion draws near, that their window is up, and that they are going to sacrifice his earth, Sun God pleads with the Illuminati not to, that they will find another way. The Illuminati extends a hand to Sun God, we're detonating this earth whether you like it or not, but you don't have to die with it. Sun God, however, refuses the escape, saying that if he's going to die and his earth is going to die, he'd rather be there with it. The Illuminati heads back to the 616, and all of a sudden, they need to decide who is going to destroy this Earth. Beast, Black Bolt, and Doctor Strange all try to figure out another way and ultimately refuse to pull the trigger on this Earth that has done nothing wrong. They had heroes of their own. Black Panther and uh, Mr. Fantastic try to hit the trigger, but ultimately their conscience gets the better of them. And so Namor takes the decision out of their hands, presses the button, and detonates the world. Namor then follows this up, this double whammy, by uh, revealing his betrayal of Wakanda, revealing to Black Panther that he was the one that sent Thanos to Wakanda in the first place, and subsequently leaves the group. Following this, there is no rest for the wicked, because immediately after he leaves, the skies go red again. They have run out of time. It's another incursion. Right after the one they just had to stop. However, with all of the emotional distress that everyone has been put through, with all the terrible things that have happened of late, the Illuminati decides that they are not going to detonate another world. They can't. After doing it with this one, there's no going back from this and they do not want to put this on themselves again. And so instead, they spend their last day on Earth with their loved ones, everyone else blissfully unaware of what's about to happen, until the timer ticks down to zero, and their world is still there. Now, something that I haven't mentioned yet is that when an incursion happens, it only happens at a very specific place. It's like, you know, this old-school Venn diagrams, it pictured the two circles of the Venn diagrams as the Earths. Now, the, the little shared bit that they have, only that spot is visible to the other world. The rest of the worlds, you know, if you, if uh, for example, when they have the incursion in Australia, if you're over in the Philippines, you still won't see the Earth because you're not in the exact place where the two Earths are converging. So the illuminati is shaken by this they don't know what's going on the as marvin the martian once said there was supposed to be a loud kaboom that was a terrible marvin the martian impression i'm sorry but they realize something's gone wrong and it is revealed that following his departure from the illuminati namor returned to the necropolis freed the prisoners in the illuminati's fortress that includes black swan that includes maximus the mad that includes terex and that includes thanos corvus and proxima and forms a brand new cabal with the sole intent of destroying other worlds Following this event, uh, the Watcher is killed during the original Sin story and his eye reveals a whole bunch of secrets, not least of which that Cap gets his knowledge of the Illuminati back. Cap des- you know, looks into everything that they've done and decides, you have not only betrayed my trust, you've betrayed the trust of the entire planet, and we are going to hunt you down. Eight months pass. And during those months, we have seen it all. We have seen battles in the streets, open rebellion from the Illuminati against the S.H.I.E.L.D.-backed Avengers. And eight months later, the Illuminati is in hiding, having picked up three new members, Brian Braddock, Captain Britain, Amadeus Cho, and Hank Pym, Yellowjacket. Doctor Strange is lost, having joined the Black Priests at some point in time during the last eight months to try and find the secrets on how to possibly save the multiverse. Tony Stark is missing, and the Cabal, now a public team, has now been sanctioned by the UN to destroy other worlds. Incursions have been made public knowledge, and the Doomsday Clock has struck very close to midnight now the Illuminati continues to try to find solutions looking towards the Celestials looking towards Galactus but somehow for some reason no one's picking up no one's answering and they find out why because Jacket returns from his sojourn into the multiverse to reveal that he came across the map makers and in fact the map makers are not the biggest threat to their existence it is in fact the beyonders that's right beyonders plural these are extra dimensional beings that have slaughtered the celestial forces of every single multiverse or every single universe they've come across and so there is no you know get out of jail free card for them to survive this following this the illuminati clash with the avengers however After recognizing the threat that not just the Beyonders, but the death of the multiverse poses as a whole, the two groups decide to finally come to an agreement and work together. However, they are taken a little bit off the beaten path for a moment by Namor, who reaches out to let them know that he wants to betray the Cabal due to the Cabal's vicious slaughtering of every Earth they come to. Namor originally put them together because he knew that they would have the stomach to destroy Earths using the antimatter bombs that they developed. However, the glee in which the Cabal members have in slaughtering... Every single member of these alternate Earths before detonating it has sickened Namor to his core and he wants to get rid of this group once and for all. To that end, on the next incursion, Namor leads the Cabal to this alternate Earth, then leaves them behind and activates the antimatter bomb early, utilizing an AIM satellite to block the Earths from contacting and therefore trapping the cabal on this earth before it detonates however as namor makes his escape he is confronted by black panther and black bolt who have intercepted namor and decide to take vengeance upon namor for his crimes and his many 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 times over grudge with black panther they disable him Black Bolt hits him with a shout, saying, farewell, sending him back to the doomed Earth. Black Bolt, Black Panther return to the 616, and the alternate Earth detonates, with the Cabal and Namor supposedly still on it. Following this, the Illuminati and the Shield reach... A final truce to save Earth six one six and begin development of a lifeboat to survive the multiverse's end. It is a limited lifeboat because they lifeboat because they have a limited time to make this. However, during this time, the Shi'ar discover the state of the multiverse. They find out what's going on and they gather the galaxy against Earth. At the same time, Tony Stark's whereabouts are revealed in that he has been a prisoner of the Illuminati because of a little thing called Axis in which many heroes and villains were inverted some reverted back others did not and during this Tony Stark became the superior Iron Man and lost all inhibition all conscience and fell back to the side of creating world-killing weapons so the Illuminati has had him imprisoned for a while and so... All of this is going on. The Shi'ar and the Galactic Forces converge on Earth in hopes to destroy it before the next incursion. However, Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D. defend the Earth. They are there to intercept and are just not enough. But Stark is freed from his captivity knowing that he is the only one that can stop this. Flies up to Soul's Hammer, the Dyson sphere he created, and decimates the invading fleet, allowing the Avengers and Shield to ultimately win the day. Unfortunately, the final incursion shortly began after that. We now roll the clock back to the doomed cabal on This alternate Earth, Namor now joining their ranks, having been betrayed, and at this exact moment, as the one incursion is ending, another incursion begins, noting the time dilation and the fact that these incursions are happening sooner and sooner and sooner, so they are now happening on top of each other. The Cabal and Namor are successfully able to escape to this third Earth before the alternate Earth is destroyed and find themselves on Earth-1610. That's right, they found their way to the Ultimate Universe. And soon, the Ultimate Universe and Earth-616 are the only two Earths left standing. The Cabal informs the Maker, who informs the Ultimates of what is going on. They let them know, hey, this world that you're about to encounter has destroyed countless other Earths, and they are looking to destroy you, and you need to get ready for war. Which means when the final incursion occurs, the skies go red, and Earths 616 and 1610 come together, it's all out war. The Illuminati and the Avengers get who they can into the lifeboat as the battle rages, knowing that the Earths are more or less evenly matched That being said, even though the Ultimate Universe does get a jump on the 616 because they're ready for the Incursion to begin and they know who they're up against, as well as their more militaristic nature because it's the Ultimate Universe, baby, um, the 616 have numbers and have experience on their side. Remember, the Ultimate Universe is younger than the 616, so their heroes aren't as experienced. And so the battle rages, the 616 begins to to turn the tide. However, the 616 and 1610 worlds battle to a standstill, running out of time as the incursion happens, and unbeknownst to the larger conflict, on the ground level, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers battle to the death as both worlds Reed Richards and T'Challa, moments before the end of the multiverse as we know it, are the only members of the Illuminati to make it onto the lifeboat to survive the final incursion. They are joined by other heroes, Star-Lord, Captain Marvel, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, as well as others. And the lifeboat makes its way and crash lands on a new world. Which brings us to the saga of the Great Destroyer which isn't necessarily a story with the Illuminati, but it is incredibly important for what's about to happen next. So finding out about this whole end of the multiverse, rolling things back eight months, Dr. Doom teams up with the Molecule Man to discover the Beyonders scheme. They find out that the Beyonders began this whole ending of the multiverse as an experiment. They want to see what happens. So to counter these beyonders in their experiment doom begins detonating molecule man's duplicates across every earth this being because molecule man is one singular entity across the entire multiverse there is only one of him one consciousness one mind one single life Even with alternate Molecule men, they all share the same experience. They all share the same mind, same personality, same soul. And so Doom begins detonating these Molecule men to counterbalance the death of the multiverse uh, unknowingly beginning the incursions. Because when he detonates the Earths, the careful balance that the multiverse was already in begins to shift. And that's what starts pushing earths together as the multiverse gets smaller and smaller unfortunately doom doesn't catch on to this until it's too late and by that point he is joined by dr strange who leads at this point the black priests another entity that invades earths during uh, incursions and the two of them decide to launch a final assault on the beyonders doom brings his considerable Considerable power alongside Molecule Man, Doctor Strange brings the full force of the Black Priests against them, and the Beyonders are destroyed. However, at this point, the multiverse's end is inevitable. There are only two Earths left by the time the battle concludes, and instead of allowing the multiverse to die, Doom takes the Beyonders' power for himself, as he did in the very first Secret Wars, and creates battle world a patchwork planet made from the surviving pieces of each reality and thus begins the brand new secret wars in this new reality doom and strange preside over this battle world and they to their knowledge are the only two who remember the events prior to this new status quo however the members that we just recently spoke about did survive the 616 universe, and the Cabal survived as well, with the 1610 universe having made their own lifeboat. Thus begins the final ride of the Illuminati, partnering with the surviving heroes from each side as well as heroes from around Battle World. To try and fix the multiverse. Strange, who has been Doom's advisor for the last three years, ultimately decides to rebel against Doom, leading to his death. Namor and Black Panther lead a revolution against Doctor Doom, with Black Panther wielding an Infinity Gauntlet of his own, as well as an army of Marvel zombies. Reed Richards partners with his 1610 counterpart, The Maker, to reach the Molecule Man to try and usurp Doom's power from him. However, Doom catches on to this plan and battles against Reed for the fate of the multiverse. Ultimately, the, conversation, the battle turns into a conversation with Doom outright yelling at Reed that you're only doing this because you think you can do it better. And Reed saying, yes, I can. And you know that too. Doom relents gives up the power, Molecule Man empowers Reed, and Reed rebirths the multiverse, giving us the status quo that we've seen since then. And that's kind of been it. Since the rebirth of the multiverse, the Illuminati has not really made any major appearances. However, there was a moment last year, as as I'm recording this, the very first Hellfire Gala During a point in time of everyone mingling about, different heroes and other representatives from different nations around the world converged on the island of Krakoa to witness the reformation of the X-Men, as well as a pretty big announcement, that being the terraforming of Mars as planet Arako for the mutants to claim. During all this, a conversation that people... Didn't really talk about... I didn't see a whole lot of headlines about this. Charles Xavier, former member of the Illuminati, and Magneto, one of the founding fathers of the island of Krakoa, have a conversation with Namor. Namor's had some troubled years since then, or since the reformation of the multiverse. He has gone mad, he has waged war, and now finds himself back underwater presiding over Atlantis... But Namor also is a mutant. He was born with a genetic mutation, which means he is one of Krakoa's own. And as Xavier and Magneto try to get Namor to join them, Namor declines, saying that all of this a people raising themselves up above others believing that they can make the decisions that others should be allowed to seems awfully familiar. And you will end up burning yourselves. And as he leaves the conversation, Eric and Charles notice that Namor moves to some other individuals, probably to discuss the, the conversation they just had. And this group includes some familiar faces. Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Black Bolt... So maybe, just maybe, the Illuminati's work isn't done just yet. But that is the full history of the Illuminati, and if you want to learn more about them, I've got some recommended reading for you as well. I've separated this into two distinct um categories. One is if you want to follow the Illuminati story directly, if you want to follow them from start to finish, see their story, how it goes, how it starts, how it ends, you can check that out. But I also have a second category, influenced storylines. If you want to see all of the events that both influenced and were influenced by the Illuminati, these are books to check out. So I'll do those ones first. The first one I have is The Kree-Skrull War, written by Roy Thomas, art by Sal Buscema, Neil Adams, and John Buscema. Um, This is the inciting incident. This is that big galaxy-spanning war that eventually drove the uh, Illuminati together in its aftermath and kicked off everything wrong that would happen. If you want to check out their involvement with the Hulk, you can check out Planet Hulk by Greg Pak and Carlo Pagulian as well as its sequel, World War Hulk, by Greg Pak and John Romita Jr. If you want to see the result of their failed coming together for the Superhuman Registration Act, you can check out Civil War by Mark Millar and Steve McNiven. If you want to find out what happens immediately following the dissolution of the group, Black Bolt's betrayal and reveal as a Skrull, and the knowledge of the incoming invasion, you can check out Secret Invasion by uh, Brian Michael Bendis and Linneal Francis Yu. And if you want to find out everything that's happening with the mainline Avengers at the same time as the Illuminati are dealing with the incursions, you can check out The Avengers by Jonathan Hickman. But if you want to follow the actual story of the Illuminati, them being the main characters going through these stories, check these out in more or less chronological order. Uh, New Avengers Illuminati by Brian Reed and Jim Chung. They have it all collected. It's real nice. You can also check out Iron Man Legacy by Fred Van Lente and Philippe Briones. Uh, This is the story of Iron Man going to L.A., bringing in the Illuminati to deal with the pride. Uh, You can also check out Avengers, the 2010 run, number 8 through 12, by Bendis and John Romita Jr. This is the Hood's Infinity Heist uh, story that brought the Illuminati out into the open. And finally, the ultimate trio, New Avengers by Jonathan Hickman is the story of the Illuminati trying to deal with the incursions and branching out into the wider multiverse. Time Runs Out by Jonathan Hickman kicks off eight months after the reveal of the Illuminati to the world. And Secret Wars by Jonathan Hickman and Asad Ribic. Wraps up the entire thing and kicks off the new status quo for the Marvel Universe. So that's it for the recommended reading. I also want to mention, because someone did point out to me, that in last week's episode of Greatest Multiversal Stories of Multiverses Clashing, I left out The New Avengers by Jonathan Hickman. Yes, I absolutely did. That is a total, you know, that's a total, that's my bad. That is a, it's a great story. Um, However... I will say, just a little asterisk, technically I did say no secret wars and this kind of leads into it, so we'll just call this one a draw. But this might not be the end of the Illuminati's involvement because as we saw in Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, the latest trailer that happened during the Super Bowl, they might be coming to the MCU. We don't know. We don't know what's happening. But with the reveal of Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier returning officially for this film, we might be seeing a multiversal Illuminati. This would be huge because it opens up a whole host of different characters to fill out this roster because we see shadows of these people. Uh, the people that I can pretty sure say are on this, obviously Charles Xavier, we don't know what version. Also, I'm thinking Baron Mordo. This Mordo that we've seen seems very different from the Baron Mordo from the first Um ...from the first Doctor Strange film, so I think he might be a variant. And then we might see variants of other people. We might see variants of Tony Stark. There's been rumors of Tom Cruise. I'm not going to believe until I see it. Uh, we might see variants of uh, Reed Richards, maybe the young uh version from the 2000s. Maybe a Doctor Doom variant. Or maybe even this is how we introduce Namor as a variant of the uh, MCU version... And I think this would be the easiest way to give us a Steve Rogers cameo, whether it's, you know, Chris Evans back or, you know, an alternate version. So, speculation abound. We don't know anything for sure. What we do know is that the Illuminati is definitely something that you're going to want to keep your eye on as we go into this. I'm really excited. The Illuminati is a great, great uh, group that have done some not so great things. And you know what this means. We're talking about the multiverse. We're talking about possibly Marvel's Illuminati being a multiversal Illuminati. All roads might just lead to secret wars. Ooh. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of February 16th, 2022. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek's Plained Pick of the Week of last week. And shocker, some great books came out last week. But ultimately, I picked Devil's Reign number four, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto. Um Devil's Reign continues to be a fantastic event. I'm loving the reach it has. I'm loving the different perspectives from all the characters involved. Devil's Reign rules. But that's last week. Taking a look at this week, we've got 10 books for you to check out. So let's kick off this list with Green Lantern number 11. This is written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Tom Rainey and Marco Santucci. And this book is heading into the endgame. We are in the big final push and... It appropriately feels that way. This is universe-shattering stuff going on. I am interested to see how this wraps up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Veritas Equus. Not even the combined power of the ex-Green Lanterns, Joe Mullane, and the United Planets can stop the Anti-Guardian. Will John Stewart arrive in time to defeat the threat, and do his new powers even stand a chance? The battle for the fate of the Green Lantern Corps and the entire universe hangs in the balance in the penultimate issue of The Last Lantern's arc. So uh, the book's been good. The book's been, you know, telling this great long form story, Um, but I am I am kind of ready to move on. Uh, I'm glad that Joe Malane has been given the spotlight, as she deserves. Uh, but we've got a bunch of other Green Lanterns now, and John Stewart is approaching Godhood. So we'll see how this all wraps up. Next up, we have Devil's Reign, Superior 4, number two. This is written by Zach Thompson with art by David Tinto. And you know, Superior 4, it's weird as hell. It's weird as hell. Um, I wasn't prepared for how weird it was going to be, but it is super freaking weird. But I've been enjoying it, actually. I like the concept. I'm very interested to see what happens. So let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Fantastic Four are no more. Long live the Superior Four. Otto Octavius just irrevocably altered the universe. Now he must do everything he can to undo a paradox of his own creation before it undoes him. As Otto's relentless assault on reality continues, the other Otto's grow weary of his, their reckless behavior. Can the superior force set aside their egos to work together, or will they be lost to the multiverse forever? So yeah, um, I think... Everyone kind of assumed that these other autos are not built to last, but I'm still I'm still intrigued by them as characters, and I'm interested to see how the story wraps up. Next up, we have Batman the Night, number two. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Carmine D. Jan Domenico. Ah, I got it. I got it. Um, And this is issue two of ten in the pre-year one story that Chip Zdarsky is trying to tell. Uh, The first issue was interesting. It was not what I expected it to be. It's going to be a much much more slow burn story, which I'm interested in. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Part two. Bruce Wayne's journey toward becoming the Dark Knight has begun. And he has many hard lessons to learn before his education is complete. His adventure begins in the City of Lights, Paris, where he'll train with a world-renowned cat burglar and come into contact with a horrifying serial killer stalking the city's wealthy elite. So yeah, I'm still very into the concept of this, looking forward to picking this up. Next up we have Thor number 22. This is written by Donny Cates with art by Nick Klein, and this is continuing the God of Hammer's story, which is, again, weird as hell. But I am interested to see what the endgame for this is. I have no idea where this book is going, which is kind of exciting in a way. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. God of Hammers, part four. To stop the deadly path of the Mjolnir-wielding God of Hammers, all of the Marvel Universe must come together. The final battle is here, but will Thor's allies survive the Hammers blows? Thor turns to an unexpected source to help ensure victory. That's very intriguing. Um, So I guess this is the end of God of Hammers? I don't know, we'll see. Interested to see how this wraps up. Next up, we have Detective Comics, number 1053. I know. Why is it this far down? Well, let me tell you. We got some great freaking books coming down the pipeline. This is going to be a great week. Um, This is written, of course, by Mariko Tamaki and Matthew Rosenberg, with art by Max Rayner and Fernando Blanco. And again, one of DC's best books week to week bar none the mariko tamaki detective comics run has been incredible and the shadows of the bat arc has been amazing so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the tower part 7 slash house of gotham chapter 7 War in the streets. As Dr. Ware desperately tries to keep his plans for Arkham Tower from crumbling, a major drug deal gone bad puts the nervous Doc in the sights of both the Party Crashers and the Penguins. The list of people very badly wanting to kill Dr. Ware grows, and Nightwing is on the precipice of cracking the whole scheme wide open. But with the maniacal party crashers waging war against the Bat family across Gotham, Dick must choose between helping a tower full of villains and helping his family. Then, it's nightfall in Gotham, during part 7 of House of Gotham, as the boy, growing into a man before our eyes, runs afoul of an uber-violent, unhinged Azrael Batman. This latest conflict pushes Gotham's most vulnerable into madness, and one man's rogues gallery reveals itself as another man's salvation. So yeah, the House of Gotham stuff has been super interesting. Last issue, they revealed that this was all happening during the Jason Todd era of Batman, and it looks like we're do- going to be doing a time skip to the Azrael Batman era. So I'm very excited. This is going to be a great book. Next up, we have X-Men number eight. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Javier Pina. And I mean x-men's been fantastic i've been loving it so far it's been great and i'm very excited to see what they have next so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the buffet is undefeated modok takes aim at the x-men the x-men have faced a lot of foes in the past but few have had as big a face as this one dare they face modok Yeah, so this is really exciting. I love MODOK. MODOK's dumb, but he's amazing. So I am very excited to see what the hell happens here. But next up, we have one of my most anticipated books of probably the year. It's Nightwing number 89. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo. And this is the first part of the crossover with Superman, Son of Kal-El. Very excited about this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. World's Finest Sons, Part One of Two: Superman Nightwing Crossover. Years ago, when Robin took his first uncertain steps away from Batman as his own hero, Superman stepped in and offered Dick Grayson crucial advice, support, and a an name—Nightwing. Now it's time for Nightwing to return the favor. To be concluded in Superman Son of Kal-el Number Nine in March. So yeah, love, love, love the fact we're getting a Nightwing and Superman crossover. I think it's very interesting that we're almost supplanting... And I don't want to say that it's replacing the Super Sons, but having these two who are, I guess, closer to being contemporaries than John and Damien are now, crossover is really fun. Obviously, Tom Taylor is writing both of these characters, so I am very excited for this. Next up, we have The Amazing Spider-Man number 89. This is written by Patrick Gleason with art by Mark Bagley. And this is continuing off that incredible cliffhanger from Amazing Spider-Man number 88, one of my favorite cliffhangers so far in this Beyond era. Cannot wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Beyond, Chapter 15. After her first showdown with Ben Riley, Queen Goblin now faces the Black Cat. This will be a showdown for the ages, as you see just how horrifying this Queen's reign will be. Man, I hope they didn't just set up Black Cat in that awesome Mary Jane Black Cat book to be offed by Queen Goblin. That would be heartbreaking. But I'm very excited about this. I love the Queen Goblin's design. I'm very excited to see if my guess on who she is comes true. And calling her first showdown with Ben Riley a showdown is very funny. (laughs) I'll just say that if you haven't read last week's issue um, or a couple weeks ago's issue, it's incredible. It's a wonderful little, uh, little showdown, as the book says. But very excited to see how this shapes up. But my two big books of the week, the books you should absolutely be picking up, are first, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number eight. This is written by Tom King with art by Kiss Evely. and this is something special. This book has been incredible. It is very much on path to be my book of the year if they stick the landing. Um, we're going to have to see how this wraps up. This is issue 8 of 8, the conclusion. Let's dive into this and see how everything shakes out. Chapter 8, Ruthie, Supergirl, and Krim of the Yellow Hills. Krem's fate revealed. As Supergirl continues her battle against the brigands, Ruthie squares off against this most vile villain in hope of avenging her father and completing their mission. Will justice be served on both accounts? Or will our heroes fail? You won't want to miss this thrilling conclusion of the acclaimed miniseries that has changed Kara Zor-El for good. I would agree with that statement. It has changed Kara Zorel for good. I love this story. Every single issue's been incredible. I've cried reading this book, so I am very excited to see how this shapes up. Cannot wait. But the other book this week that I think you should absolutely be picking up is Iron Fist Number One. This is written by Alyssa Wong with art by Michael YG. Um Ah, it's here. It's I'm so excited about this. I've been waiting for this ever since they announced that we're getting a new Iron Fist. And I cannot wait to pick this book up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Who is the new Iron Fist? After giving up his power to save the world, Danny Rand believes he's seen the last of the Iron Fist. But when demons begin to attack cities around the world, a mysterious newcomer in a familiar mask appears, hands blazing with the chi of Shaolau the Undying. Who is this new Iron Fist? And does his power really come from the Dragon of Kunlun or from something far more sinister? Yeah, so excited about this. Cannot wait to pick this up. I've been waiting on this. Um, This is going to be a great week of comics. Just letting you know that right now. But that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Green Lantern number 11, Devil's Reign Superior Four number 2, Batman The Knight number 2, Thor, number 22, Detective Comics, number 1053, X-Men, number eight, Nightwing, number 89, The Amazing Spider-Man, number 89, that's funny, Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, number eight, and Iron Fist, number one. And that is going to bring us to the wrap up. If this is your first time joining us on the Explained podcast and you like what to do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every Wednesday and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really does help me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, kind of raises our stock up and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you want to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write whatever you would like. And if... You give me that five star review, I am will be forced to read it here on the podcast. So feel free to do that, and you will join the likes of our Dirty Dozen, that includes Seafire, Entity, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man eighty eight, Doug from Forever, Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, that guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider fan, Alock and Az, and SASS. I want to say a big thank you to all of these fine folks for their reviews and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geek Explain mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want my opinion on something, maybe some recommendations for something I haven't covered on the podcast, feel free to email me You can send emails to geeksplained at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read them here on the podcast. And finally, if you want to keep up to date with us, keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Geeksplained Pod. That's at Geeksplained P-O-D. There's been a lot to talk about this past week, and I'm sure it's only going to get More crowded when it comes to stuff to talk about. So follow us on there if you want to keep up to date with us. And finally... If you are not already, make sure you are tuning in every single Friday for the Geek Explained Book Club, where I, along with my amazing co-hosts, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. Spidey Fridays have been a tradition since the year started, and I'm very excited to continue my odyssey through the life of Ultimate Peter Parker. And if you'd like to join us, feel free to tune in and catch up in the archives of this podcast. But that is going to do it for this week's podcast. Uh, next week is our final episode of February. February just blew by, and we are going to be doing a very special Geek Explained spotlight on what I believe is the perfect Marvel comic. That's right. I said it. Next week, I'll be putting a very special look at. One of my personal favorite comics of all time, and a comic that I believe is a perfect window into Marvel Comics. So tune in next week for that same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.